Thanksgiving can be a day and a season when we are grateful for the abundance we have. And we are to keep in perspective what matters the most, family and what we have around us and around the table. But interestingly enough, the day after Thanksgiving, all of a sudden becomes the day that we are reminded of our scarcity. And it has become such a competitive day, the Friday following that Thursday. It's a competitive day to purchase. It has escalated to be very difficult to do without pushing and shoving. That it inspired the entities who are sending me the email to give me the opportunity to spend in a way that I am safe without pushing and shoving. And how do they do that? Well, the day after Christmas, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, since that has become a little bit more on the violent side, at least for me, so generously, as of Wednesday, November 6, I know that I can save, avoid danger, and think of my loved ones to give them what they need. But then I'm reminded that all those factors I do believe come into play. I am okay to tell you this morning that the greatest value is not my family, is not saving, it's profit. That's the number one objective. Should I blame those entities, those persons who have profit as their greatest value for my deciding and discernment process? No. I don't agree, I think you can tell, I don't agree with how things have been reprioritized, but I am not to blame them either. Because I am to take responsibility for how I will respond, for how I will engage, and how I will step into this season of thanksgiving. Because the what and the how and the why and certainly the who I value the most and who we value the most is a decision for each person to take. There's a biblical and historical story. It took place, it's found in three of the four Gospels, and it offers Jesus' wisdom. And I hope that we can ask ourselves, how can this particular story be embodied in us, be exemplified through us? In other words, how it can become, I'm sorry, incarnational in our lives. 
So the story is found. I'm going to choose of the three Gospels, Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. And it reads, While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as Jesus sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were angry. And they said, why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum. And the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever these good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. The word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. This woman offers an alabaster jar of a very costly ointment. It's of great value. And she, the verb is important, she pours it over Jesus. It's a way of anointing, traditionally speaking. In other words, the pouring is for us to grasp the implication that there's something given without measuring, without reservation, without holding back. So she's pouring, and in case we do not have a clue of how valuable that ointment is, Remember the verse, somewhere 6 and 7 verse, it says, much good can be done. Much. It can help not a person with disadvantage, but based on the reaction of the disciples, much good can be done for people who lack something. And the people was in plural. More than one person could have been helped if it was sold and something, if it was saved and spent somewhere else and in another way. My first question. The disciples say it can be used for something better. You saw that. 
my question, what is better than serving Jesus? Who is better? Who is above Jesus? Do you see what happened? It sounded right. I'm going to save the money to spend it over here. And what this is getting into is who is better and who is more valuable than Jesus? Anointing Jesus. And it once again reminds us of who is to be the name above all names. And then I want to add something to add to the perspective. I read verses 6 through 13. If you were to read verses 1 through 5, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, this is verse 1, to the disciples, quotes, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and me, the Son of Man, will be handed over to be crucified. The man is going to be killed in two days. What is more valuable than anointing Jesus at that particular season? Do you see? And then somewhere down verse 5 they go back and forth. If you go from verse 3 to 5, please know that Jesus missed death that day for there was a plot to kill him. So there's imminent danger. In two days, certainly something will take place, which did. And then the tradition reminds us, the history, that one of the practices they did when someone was to die or had passed away, they would anoint the body. So this woman has heard what is going to happen, and she knows there's nothing to hold back because what's happening is happening, and nothing is more important than worshiping and anointing not just a body, but the body of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, the disciples, the leaders, the BFFs, missed that one and wanted to save it to spend it somewhere else. But this woman pours without any reservation. My question, I ask you today, what is the most valuable person, circumstance, reality, thing in this season of Thanksgiving for you, church? Who is most valuable, particularly in Thanksgiving season? So yes, my implication is, is Jesus the most valuable being for you above all names, above all circumstances? And how do we check ourselves? How are you pouring into your life, spiritually speaking, how are you anointing and blessing the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has been blessing you always and all along? Let's mention the good cause the disciples mentioned. Serving the poor is important. Yes, this passage is not about learning that we are not to help. In fact, verse 6 so 
craftily, if that's a word, reminds us of how important it is to be mindful of those who lack. Verse 6 said, Jesus was dining or having dinner at the table of who? Simon the who? The leper. And if we remember, the leper, the person who had leprosy was not allowed to be close to, not even to the temple. They were to be marginalized. They are lacking something. When you had that kind of disease, it was thought that it was a punishment from God. You came short. You deserved it. I mean, when you want to talk about marginalized, you say leprosy. And where was Jesus? With a person clearly in need of cleansing. So if we want to get holier than thou, careful, because Jesus exemplifies and will always be the best example of what it's like to think of the other in need. So this is not about choosing whether we should help others or not. Yes, that is a given, and Jesus exemplified that. What this is implying to us and challenging us is, is Jesus the being you value the most? And how do you pour into your Christian walk? How are you leaning into as a disciple? Beware, may we not be like those disciples who received the message and missed the mark and criticized to the point that they were angry, to the point that they said that her sacred act was a waste. It may seem like it's about saving, but it's really about spending. It may seem like it's about loving my family, buy two, get one, but it's about profit. It may seem like it's about keeping me safe and a peace of mind to avoid the pushing and shoving, but it remains to be about profit. God knows the depths of our souls and our hearts. And although there's truth in that, it's a half-truth, so be careful. If you want the whole truth, if you want to live into the transformational truth, it is in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that the world can be transformed through generosity? Let me break that word world down. Do you believe that our families, our children, our grandchildren, our marriages can be influenced positively by gathering Sunday after Sunday? What about our generous acts of education? working really hard to attain the scholarship, open the doors for the future generation to have a better chance, unlike maybe our past. And we go into mentorship, and we have all these opportunities. We run for good causes. We do so many things. We have children's uh, ministry. We have youth. We have young adults. We have 20s and 30s, 31st and 45, 45 to 64, 64 to elderly. We have all these opportunities. Clearly, we believe that there's value in the transformation of the world, which is why we invest in our time and our effort and our resources, correct? Clearly, we believe that pouring into so generously in our time, talent, service, and resources makes a difference. 
Amen. Okay. So I ask again, do we believe that your life can be transformed through generosity, starting with God's generosity poured into you? Another question, do we believe that our families can be changed through consumerism? Yes. Negatively, but yes. Right now, more, more, more. It's not this particular Friday right after Thursday, Thanksgiving Thursday. Now it's November 6th. Now it's November 1st. Buy more, 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 which only leads us to think that we need more. And it's based on a philosophy of scarcity. The mindset of scarcity. So my question, if this was a glass, sorry, what, do, what comes to mind first? Is it half empty or is it half full? Half empty is the philosophy of scarcity. We always need more. More, we're missing out unless you get that. I'm going to make up a word, enoughness. There's not enough. We lack. Then we have blurred certain things. Wanting and needing are interchangeably. No, brothers and sisters, there is a difference between wanting and needing. And let's keep them separate. Now hear the good news. God's economy is one of sufficiency, not scarcity. Sufficiency. So let me test this phrase that we say often. Grace is enough or sufficient? We sing it. Grace is enough. Grace is sufficient. Okay, the principle behind that is that we are of sufficiency. Grace fills. There is a time for everything. You go back to Ecclesiastes, time to... Cry, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to rejoice, time to work, time to rest. You take it all the way to Genesis. The first two chapters of Genesis is the principle of stewardship. A day to create this, a day to create that, and so on. And then there's a day to rest. It's sufficient. And last week I said, but time is not enough. You are correct, which means we are to prioritize our wants, our needs. And then we are to trust in the Lord by having the principle of truth. And the starting point for you is that grace is enough, thus the glass is half full. God does not profit for self-gain. God pours into our transformation. And then there is the greatest example of all. God's generosity poured down to us so much so that he generously gave his only son so that no one would perish, but instead have eternal life. Talk about pouring into us life. The value 
The greatest value is Jesus Christ. The greatest value is eternal life, and it starts today, and it starts here. The greatest value is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, to be disciples, to be children, to be participants, to be stewards. Generosity is something God wants for us, not from us. So remember, as I come to a close, Jesus praised the act of this woman. And he stated, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Her story is to be passed on, is to be lived out, It transformed that moment. And we have told that story today about an unwasted generosity. And my question to you is, during this season of Thanksgiving and then on to Christmas, will you pour into who is of most value? Will you discern in your spending? Will you value who you have around your table? Will you pour into your Christian walk? Will you prioritize what truly is most needed in life? Will we be good examples to our spouses, our families, and the next generation? Will we live unwasted generosity? Will you do what the women, woman did?